Good morning, folks. Good to see you this morning. I want to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Joshua. Book of Joshua. Lots of familiar passages and stories in the book of Joshua. But I wonder how many of us have ever truly read the whole book and took time to meditate and focus and see the Joshua that is truly the Joshua of the Bible and see what he did and see and meet his generation. I've been praying. God has led me to just kind of preach out of Joshua for a few weeks as we are on the beginning of preparation for revival coming up the end of next month. And um, I got kind of a theme I'm going to be preaching. I don't know how long this, the Spirit will show. But I want to preach about claiming God's promised inheritance. If you're in covenant with God, whether the Old Testament through covenant he made with Abraham or today through Jesus you have covenant promises that God gave you that are blessings that are abundant that make you different than anybody else because we're his family we're his adopted children and as we read here this morning we all know who Joshua we got our idea of him Joshua was Moses replacement his assistant he'd been mentored by Joshua by Moses Moses along with all the other Israelites who refused because of their unbelief and their disobedience to believe God's promise of the land that he had for them, of milk and honey, where they would find rest and where his presence and his protection and his provision would supernaturally bless them. But because of their unbelief, they disobeyed. And we hear at the end of the 40 years when they were wandering in the wilderness till every one of them, had died who had refused and not trust God. Finally, even Moses has died. That's what you'll read in Deuteronomy, the last chapter. And now God is ready, and he has a people who has able spiritually to go. And he tells Joshua what we're fixing to read. He says in verse 1 of chapter 1, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke, to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said already to Moses. <laughs> From the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land, underline that, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. Underline that, move away all that geological, geological description, and what he says in verse 4 is, all the land shall be your territory, because I'm giving it to you. Verse 5, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. As I was, will be with you, I will not leave you nor forsake you. Verse 6, be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide, here it is, as an inheritance, the land which I swore, that's which I promised to their fathers to give them. Father, I pray for help, not only for me to speak, but for everyone who wants to do business and be able to glorify your name to hear that you might take your words today and in these coming weeks and take us from wherever we are right now to where you would want us to be. Lord, I know you desire every person under the sound of my lips to be saved, and to, Lord, if we're saved, to be revived and to live lives filled with your spirit from a relationship through Jesus. And, Lord, you want us to prosper. You want us to have spiritual success. You want us to walk in victory. Lord, you basically don't want us in the wilderness. You want us in the promised land, the abundant life in Christ. Help us today to see what we need to see, to hear what we need to hear, and prepare our hearts to do what we need to do that we might truly follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to ask us a question this morning. Can we count on God to keep his promises? And I know what every one of you will say. 
But you really can't answer that, prayer, that question with your mouth. Doesn't matter. You can say anything. The only way you can actually answer that question is with your life. Doesn't matter what your mouth says. What does your life testify of you? And what you believe God can do and can't do. And whether you're in Egypt lost or backslidden in the flesh in the wilderness or walking in victory in the abundant life of Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, walking in the Spirit, with Christ and His blessings pouring through you, it all depends on how you answer that question. Do you believe God is who He says He is? That He can do what He says He can do? You see, to Abraham, many generations before this book was written, or even these events actually happened, before Joshua's generation, God had promised the Israelites, I will make you a great nation in Genesis chapter 12 too. A couple chapters later, he recommits to Abraham again. And he says, to your descendants, I will give you the land from the river Egypt to the great river the Euphrates. And these same promises when you read through Genesis and as you study through Exodus and you look at what God's doing through Leviticus and, and, and Numbers when they could have had the land 40 years ago, but they rejected God's word. They didn't believe it. So they were cast back to wander in the wilderness for 40 more years. And now here we see Abraham's Children about to receive this promise. You see, these same promises had been renewed with each generation, but hundreds of years later, his children are still not in the promised land. Even worse, the last 400 years, before that 40, they had been slaves in the bondage of slavery under the taskmaster of an evil master named Pharaoh, in an awful place called Egypt. Sound familiar? Because you see, Egypt is a spiritual picture of the world. It's a place of bondage. And Pharaoh is a spiritual picture of the devil. Just as the devil wants to be your master, he wants to control your life, he wants to take from you your freedom to live for God and to serve God and to worship God, he wants you to worship his gods and he wants you to serve him. Pharaoh was the same way. And so how did he do it? He, he kept them beat down. He kept them in, under the bondage of slavery, under harsh, harsh treatment. He made them make bricks and he kept them burdened and he, he, he just kept them to the point they gave up. The same thing Satan tries to do in our lives every day if you let him. It's a picture of the bondage of slavery and building the bricks and the, the taskmaster's hand upon them heavily burdening them in a place where they had no hope, where they was believed that they would become a deliverer. Someone who could come in the name of their God and stand for their God and deliver them and set them free. And we know his name was Moses. And God called out Moses. God empowered and prepared Moses. And in God's providential sovereign timing, when he was ready, he told Moses, go and tell that Pharaoh to let my people go. And we know the story, Pharaoh, he was hard, just like the devil. He said no, but God showed him who's God, and he defeated all of the Egyptian gods and the plagues and Moses kept telling him, let my people go, and finally he turned them loose. Friends, the bondage of that slavery in their lives is a picture of the bondage of sin in our lives. And just as they needed Moses to come and deliver them, we need Jesus today to come and deliver us. And I don't know about y'all, but I'm thankful for the book of Joshua Joshua is the story of God making good on his promises. It tells how Israel entered and conquered the land and divided up their inheritance. In fact, God's faithfulness was so complete that at the end of the book, 
we hear Joshua 24 years later after they entered in, right before he died, say, you know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord God gave you has failed. Not one. He said every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. Now, friend, I want you to think about this. This is what we're promised. Just as Pharaoh was stealing and robbing them of their inherited promised life, Jesus said, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. How many of you have met him? You see, after your blessings and your inheritance and your spiritual good that God wants to do in your life, and if you're a weak, carnal, worldly Christian, he's working in you more than God is, if you're honest. But you see, Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. And when I look around, where are those of us in the church today who are living the abundant life in Christ that our shepherd has promised to lead us? Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Jesus was such, meant that, that he gave his life on the cross. And as the good shepherd, just as Moses was used by God to lead the people out of Israel, to lead the people in victory, as they followed God, as God took them out of the exodus, Jesus does the same thing in you and my lives if we let him and we follow him. If you're in bondage today, if there's things in your life that Satan has used to rob you, to steal the things of God from you, to even kill some of the things that God wants to do in you, to destroy the abundant life to where you're just carnal, you're miserable, you're not happy, there's no joy, you don't have victory, you're saved. But in all honesty, you don't have the promised land. You're not in the land of milk and honey. You're struggling. You're not thriving. You're not prospering. You're just surviving. And that's where most of us are. Me included. When Jesus said, I am the, David said, you are my shepherd. He said, this good shepherd leads me and I do not want. The Lord is my shepherd. But everywhere we look, we're wanting. We're constantly wanting more and more and more. We need God. And I'm not here to say he doesn't bless us. But if we follow him, he's going to lead us beside the still waters where we're going to find rest and nourishment. He's going to lay us down in the green pastures and feed us where we're strong where we're prospering and healthy spiritually. He's going to lead us down the roads of righteousness for his namesake, and our life is going to glorify him, not by what we say, but by where we go and the things we do. We're not going to have to tell people I'm a Christian. They're going to look at us, and they're going to hear it come out of our mouth. We're sheep. <laughs> we belong to the shepherd. And even the worst thing that can happen to us, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me and your staff comforts me. And I have victory in the worst thing that can happen to me because of you. And just as Moses overcame unbelievable obstacles, he parted the Red Sea in the name of God. And they walked through on dry land. Jesus parted and set you free through the cross of Calvary. Just as they passed through the water, we've passed through the blood. We've been washed. We've been filled with the Spirit of God. We've been born again. But we don't walk around claiming our inheritance. We live in ways that don't line up with what God says He's promised us. And I don't know about you, I'm tired of it. I want to have victory. I think Joshua's got some answers in here we're going to look at. Because I want you to look at what God's promised us through the Word of God. The Bible says in Ephesians, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with some spiritual blessings, a lot of spiritual blessings, every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. How many is that? Way more than what I'm getting. How about you? <laughs> I'm disappointed when I read that. Man, there's so much more, God, that I must not be getting. But you know why? It doesn't come in church. 
You don't get these spiritual blessings from the Christ, from the church of Christ. These spiritual blessings come from the Christ of the church. Too many of us, that's all you have is church. You come to church, you're good, and you mean well. But church is the main thing you rely on and what church does. Friends, listen, these blessings come in Christ. Just like salvation is only in Christ. Look at this next one, spiritual blessed life. In Him, Jesus, we have redemption. That's redemption. That means that they were slaves, but Moses redeemed them. He set them free. We were slaves. We were owned by Satan. The world owned us. We were of the world, captives in this ungodly world. And we were in bondage to sin, but Jesus redeemed us with His own blood. And He forgave our sins, it says, according to the riches of His grace. And if you've been saved, you've been delivered. Just like Moses took them out of Egypt, just like Moses walked them through the Red Sea, and God destroyed their enemies and delivered them, and He had a, a plan to take them to the Promised Land. But before they could get there, they're whining and wanting to go back where they came from. Because their mind wasn't on where God was wanting to bring them, where God said he could take them. Their mind was still on where they came from. And that's what you see if you watch us. We ought to be thinking about where God wants to bring us instead of where we used to be. And friends, I want you to look at this. If we have been saved and are redeemed and His blood has forgiven us and washed us and His grace has saved us, I want you to see this next verse. This is only three verses down. It says, in Him, Jesus, also we have obtained an inheritance. Now, if any of you had an unknown relative that left you a million dollars, we'd all heard about it this morning. There ain't one of you in here. Man, you don't know it. I had a relative I didn't know about. And that mug was rich, and he had a lot of money, and he left me a million dollars. Whoa! There ain't one person in here you wouldn't have told. But you got something that million dollars can't buy. You got something that you can't never earn, that you will never deserve, that was given to you free. You've been saved. You've been adopted. You're a child of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he's given you an inheritance. An inheritance that you don't have to be in bondage of the world. You don't have to be owned by the devil because you've been delivered. Pharaoh is not your master. Egypt is not your home. And I'm here to tell you right now, the wilderness is not your destination. He's got a promised land for you. And friends, listen to what he says. Being predestined, pre-planned, predetermined, according to the purpose of him who works all things together according to the counsel of his will. It is the will of our God, according to his counsel, his wisdom, that he pre-planned, he predetermined to give us a spiritual inheritance that'll bless your socks off if you ever get it. And it ain't when you get to go to heaven. It starts now. It's here. The abundant life. But guys, I want you to think about this with me. Everybody on the earth and everybody in this room is in one of these three spiritual places. This is the spiritual condition of every man, every woman on the earth. He's either in the world, not saved. He's still in bondage. He's still just a sinner. He still belongs to the devil. And he's still of the world. He's in Egypt. That's where everybody outside of Christ is at. Or he's in one of two spiritual conditions if he's saved. He got saved. God tried to work in your life. He was blessing you. But you wasn't serious about God. You didn't make God your priority. You didn't give Jesus preeminence. You didn't make Him first. You still thought you could live for yourself and live what your flesh wanted and still be blessed. But you found it out lately that the life of carnality doesn't give you what the Bible says you should have. What is the life of carnality? Carnality. The life of carnality is a Christian who walks in the flesh more than he walks in the spirit. He walks in the natural condition. He walks like everybody else. And friends, listen, the wilderness, you've got to believe God. You've got to trust God enough to not just agree with God, but apply what God shows you to your life and obey it. You can get saved by believing 
But you ain't getting in the promised land without obedience and without truly making your life submitted to the Lordship of Christ. You got to do what he says, go where he goes. Get rid of what he says, get rid of, and take on what he says, take on. Where do you get that from? Unless you deny yourself, get rid of stuff, take up my cross, take on things, and follow me. You will not be my disciple. The promised land is for disciples. It ain't for just church folk who has a casual approach to Christianity, who just come on Sunday, don't know nothing about the Bible, and don't give a rip about if God's will is being done in their life about. The most miserable person in this room today is not the man in Egypt. And it sure ain't the man who's in the promised land. The most miserable people in the church today are those who are in the wilderness, wandering around aimlessly, not gaining any ground for the glory of God, living an unprosperous, unsuccessful life. They're surviving because God is good. He gives them a little manna. He gives them a little quail every now and then. They'll, They'll be thirsty, but he'll in his mercy, split a rock every now and let them get some water. But they ain't never tasted of the milk and honey. They ain't never ate of the abundance of the vineyards that they never had to plant. But God had waiting for them because they live cornally. You see, the promised land is the life of Christ, and that's for the person who walks in the Spirit. What's it mean to walk in the Spirit? If you're walking in the Spirit, the Spirit's going to take the Word of God And he's going to help you to have understanding. And he's going to show you what he wants to do in your life. And as the Spirit is working, you follow the Spirit. And if you start following the Spirit, the Spirit begins to bless you and strengthen you. The Spirit begins to make you stronger. The Spirit begins to to prosper you spiritually. And the more you walk in the Spirit, the more you experience the promised land. The more you walk in carnality, you will always be in the wilderness. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he shall reap. If you reap to the flesh, you will sow corruption of the flesh. If you reap to the Spirit, you will reap in the abundance of the Spirit, the fruit of Him. And friends, listen. The first thing He tells them when He gets ready to bring them in, if you look with me here, go ahead and read it. This is kind of an introduction to what we're going to be looking at in the coming weeks. He tells him, the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel, I have given you, as I said to Moses, all the land shall be your territory. That comes from the three verses above. He says, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you, only be strong and of good courage. For this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land. That's what got me on this topic, which I swore to their fathers to give you. But look at the first thing he says. Only you got to be strong, and you got to be very courageous. How do you be strong and be very courageous? That you may observe to do according to all, not some, not most, all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right. Do not turn from it from the left that you may prosper wherever you go. Friends, partial obedience is disobedience. None of us are perfect. But you can't live a victorious life and continually and habitually live not honoring God. Look at what he says right here. He says in verse 8, this is to me the most important book verse in this book the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it for then you will have make your way prosperous and then you will have good success we got to be serious about the word of God it's not enough to agree with the word of God you've got to obey the word of God do y'all remember what Jesus said at the end of perhaps the greatest sermon ever preached the sermon on the mount Many theologians said that's the greatest instruction ever been given to man for spiritualness. At the end, after he preaches that great sermon, do y'all remember the last thing he did? He said there were two men who heard his word. And he said, 
the man who hears my words and does what they say, I will attribute to the wise man who obeyed my words. And when the storms come and the, 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 the wind blows, he said he will stand. He said the man who hears my words and doesn't do what they say, he just listens to them, I attribute to the foolish man. And when those storms come and those same winds blow and those troubles of life come against him, great will he fall. Friends, listen, you can't stand by just believing and agreeing. We have to learn to apply truth to our life. And I want you to see, when he tells them what he's fixing to do, I can't imagine what it must have been like being a pastor. You're replacing Moses. Moses has just been dead for a pretty, I don't think it's been a very long time. And now he tells them right here, have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for your Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people. He went and got all the leaders. And he went to them and he said, um, hey guys, listen, go pass through the camp. Command all the people saying, prepare provisions for yourself for within three days. Three days, we're going to cross over this Jordan. Remember, the Jordan was at flood stage. It was out the banks. It was impassable. It was, an, it was impossible to do without supernatural help. To go in and possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half of the Manasseh, Joshua spoke, saying, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is giving you rest and is giving you this land. The most amazing thing to me is those people said, Okay. And friends, I want you to see the first thing, if you're going to claim God's promises, is it's going to take you preparing provisions for yourself. It's not going to happen just sitting in church, Acting like every other religious person. You see, it's the Joshua generation that went in, not the Moses generation, not Abraham's 12 sons who were the fathers of the 12 tribes. And the difference was they believed God. And you're never going to believe God, my friend, if the book of the law is not in your life to the point it can come out of your mouth. Because until it's in your heart, it ain't going to come out of your mouth. He says, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. I'm here to tell you that to be a prosperous, fruitful, spiritually successful Christian, you've got to have a good understanding knowledge of the truth. Jesus, Paul said that the Lord desires for all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And friends, listen, your knowledge of the truth, how much of the words you know and understand and have meditated on, that you don't have to go ask the preacher what it says. You don't have to go look it up on Google. It's in your heart and it comes out of your mouth because you're in the word to the point the word is in you. That's a new animal, my friend. And when the word is in you, you have power to be strong. And you have courage to be brave. Because your strength doesn't come from you. And truth be known, your courage doesn't come from you. See, the battle belongs to the Lord. The strength that we must stand in is not our strength, but His. And that comes from faith. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the Word of God. And the more you have the Word of God, the more you're a student of the Word of God. If there's one thing missing in the church that is deteriorated, that I think is a major contributing factor to the spiritual condition of the church to be trapped in the wilderness, is that we've lost, we're illiterate. We don't have the, the biblical worldview we once had. Too many of us, our worldview is too secular. It's much more worldly than it is spiritual. But guys, you've got to make provisions that's a spiritual provision. You also have to make effort. The first thing he says in chapter 2, Now Joshua the son of Nun sent two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go view 
and especially Jericho. So they went and they came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and they lodged there. So they went to go see what was going on. And when they got there, they found out good news. Man, the people done heard about us. They scared of us. And the city is locked down and they're full of fear and they're worried about us. When they get back, they give a good report, unlike before. I believe Joshua might have been smarter here than Moses. He only sent two. He knew you send too many, you're going to get too many bad reports. It's kind of like a committee. <laughs> you get enough on there, you're going to have one knot head, don't hear from God. So he got two that he must have really knew would believe God. And he sent them. When they come back, look at verse 23 of chapter 2. So the two men returned, descended from the mountain. They crossed over. And they came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and they told him all that they had befallen them, all that they had seen. Look at verse 24. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands, for indeed all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. He said, man, now's the time to strike, Joshua. Man, they locked up. They scared to death. They done heard of us. They done heard of our God. So then Joshua arose early the next morning. He set out from Acacia Grove and he came to the Jordan. Remember, it's at flood stage. We're going to look at that in the coming weeks. He comes to this flooded river that's impassable. That when they looked at it, I can't imagine what they were thinking. It's probably like when Moses told them, don't worry about Pharaoh, just watch and you will see the salvation of the Lord. I'm fixing to stick my staff in this water and God's going to part this Red Sea and we're going over on dry land. Yeah, right, Moses. <laughs> Moses better be glad he wasn't pastor in a Baptist church. But look at what he says. He says in verse 2, So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp. They did just what he told them. And they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Now Moses, Joshua already knew what God had told him. You know what he told him? He said, Get the ark of the covenant, get the priest, let them go out in front of you, and when they step into the... Jordan, I'm going to part it just like I did for Moses. Now, they don't know that. So he says, follow them. Get a thousand yards behind them and go where they go. But listen what he says. Here it is again. You've got to make provisions, and this is the one we lack so much. In verse 5, when you get down there, he says, And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. If you've got a King James, it says, consecrate yourself. What we must come to grips with in the Baptist church is you can be saved, you can go through the blood, and you can be on the other side of salvation, the right side, and if you live a life that is carnal, that is fleshly, that you're not going to let the Spirit, you're not going to let Jesus' Lordship be under it, you're not going to see many wonders done in your midst. Because God does his great work in the midst of people who love him enough, who see themselves as he does, sanctified, set apart, consecrated, dedicated to him. How do you get that way? Jesus said and prayed for us the night he went to the cross in the 17th chapter of the Gospel of John. He said, sanctify them with thy truth. The word is truth. And as you get in the Word and the Word gets in you, it helps you to see God for who He is and to see you the way God sees you. And it changes you. The Bible says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove what is the good and the perfect and the acceptable will of God. You'll never be able to accomplish, much less prove, the acceptable good and purpose will of God when you're conformed to the world. And you're like the world more than Jesus. See, God has a plan. He's transforming us by the renewing of our mind. He's using the word and the power of his spirit. And he tells Joshua, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And we're going to look, we ain't got time today, I'm just introducing you this. So what did they do? What does it mean to be sanctified, to be consecrated to the Lord? It means much more than coming to church on Sunday. It takes a lot of dedication. 
you're going to see in the coming weeks that while they're going through <laughs> the river, while the priests are still in there, Moses here, I mean, Joshua hears from God. Joshua, get 12 men, one from each tribe, and tell them to pick up a stone. Tell them to go back down in there and get a stone. I don't know about you, if I was moving, I've moved many times. I'm going to be wanting to carry what she says in as little as possible. The last thing I want to do is go pick up a stone, not just a rock. See, I got this stone when I was in Israel. This came out of the Sea of Galilee while I was swimming. But he said, pick up a stone and put it on your shoulder. I'm going to show you this. See, that's an inconvenience. That's hard work. That's effort. Moses, we just came through with all of our belongings and all of our kids. But he said, I want you to go get 12 because I want to put up a memorial to remind people of what God did today. See, it's more than just us getting blessed. It's about God getting recognition and being glorified for what he does. And the amazing thing is they went and got them rocks and big stones. They carried them out. And they were big enough that he made a memorial that he said is still here to this day. You can go see so that you can tell your kids years from now when they say, what are those stones for? He said, that's when the Lord took us into the promised land. That's when he parted the waters of this flooded river. That's what he done. But then you know what else he says? After that, that's the end of chapter 4. In chapter 5, it says that those kings in Jericho were scared and it was locked up. And they were like, oh no, what are we going to do? They're all scared. Now's the time to strike. You think God would say, sharpen your swords. Prepare your weapons. But you know what he told Joshua? Go and make some flinty knives, Joshua. Because while they were in Egypt, they were no longer, while they were in the wilderness, being circumcised. Because they're uncircumcised, they're not fulfilling their covenant commitments. And we're going to look at this some more. So he says, circumcise every one of the men, 40 years and under, which is every one of them. He said, so go make flinty knives. You know what he said? He went and made flinty knives. He told them, hey, I'm going to circumcise every one of you. Now, y'all listen to this, and y'all don't really get it, so I'm going to help you. That'd be like this. All right, boys, next week, bring your Band-Aids and your antiseptic, because we're going to get right with God. You see, getting right with God and being sanctified involves pain, involves some sacrifice. It involves doing things that you don't really want to do. And if you've got things in your life that are embedded, that things that have got in your heart, not oh, today, he don't want us to have a physical, but he does say that we're to have a circumcised heart. And there's things that become so dear to our hearts, our sin is so precious to us that we can openly and see it as plain as day that we've done went to the left of Scripture. We over here to the right of Scripture. We're not doing what Scripture says. And you can read the Scripture and show it to people and they'll go. And wait you out. They will not obey it. If you don't believe me, come pastor some churches. Come preach the Bible. But they did it. And it says, and we're going to look at this. There's a significance to this, to being sanctified. He says, when they done this, because they obeyed, he said, I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt. I've taken away the disgrace. That's what it says in one translation of Egypt. You may not believe this, but I believe it because I've experienced it. Even though I'm forgiven, even though I'm saved, my past does have a degree of disgrace. We say, well, we've heard your testimony, of course. Yours is just as disgraceful as mine. Every one of us has got things you're ashamed of, things you wish you didn't do, things that your past is holding. But he said, this here, I'm going to set you free from the reproach of Egypt. I don't know about y'all, but from there on out, there was nothing left for Egypt to hold them with. And if you're honest today, what does Satan do to every safe person? He's your buddy when he's trying to get you to sin. He's the tempter. Come on now, Garland. Everybody does it. Don't worry about it. It'll be all right. I mean, don't get so fanatical. I mean, it's just a little sin. 
So what do you do? If you're like Eve and a lot of other people, you begin to think about it. You begin to focus on it. Before long, your temptation gets you to do it. And once you do it, he's no longer Satan, the tempter. He's the devil, the accuser. What kind of Christian are you? How can you preach the word of God? Doing what you did and believing what you act in the way you did. But you see, when we obey God, Satan has nothing to use to hold against us. And I don't know about y'all, I'm thankful for the grace of God that when I mess up, I can come to Jesus and say, Lord, I did it again. I'm so sorry. And will you forgive me? And he's forgiving me every time. How about you? But I'm thankful for the grace of God that delivers me, that takes me from just having to keep getting forgiven and gives me grace to overcome sin, cuts it out of my life, removes it from my heart, and sets me free to where I don't have to go back again. See, you don't have to go back to the world. You don't have to go back to the devil. You can go forward and move into the kingdom's promise in your life. But you've got to have to be sanctified. Now, is sanctification something you have to have? Well, from what I see in this book, it is. See, he gave them the great victory of Jericho, and we all know that, and I'm, we're fixing to close. We're going to be through in five minutes. He gave them the victory. They were sanctified. They were doing everything God said. They had carried the stone. They had um, been circumcised. They were obeying the word. They were listening to Joshua. They marched around and did everything exactly the way God told them, which don't make no sense how they took Jericho. But they did it exactly the way God said. They didn't depart from the left or the right, and God gave them a victory. There was one thing he told them. Do not take any of the spoil because this one is all mine. It's devoted to me. But one person out of all of them named Achan took some. And they had a little bitty old town named Ai. It was nothing to it. They got prideful. They said, man, that ain't nothing. Just go down there. That would be nothing compared to Jericho. So they went down there with a lesser men and Ai kicked their tails. They came running back. Oh my God, what has happened? Jeremiah's laid on his face. I mean, Joshua's laid on his face. God says, Get up. He says, He didn't say Achan sinned. He said, Get up because Israel has sinned. He has taken of the devoted things. He took of the spoil. He's taken of the accursed things. And you cannot stand before your enemies with the accursed things, the things that God said can't be in your life, has to be cut away has to be moved. He'll love you. He'll give you manna. He'll protect you. He'll give you water. He'll, he'll, but you'll always survive. If you want to thrive, if you want to flourish, apparently you have to be sanctified. He said, get up and sanctify the people. Sanctify yourselves for tomorrow because, says the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed things among you. I believe the biggest hindrance to revival is what it's always been, sin. The biggest hindrance in this church and in my life and in your life and in your family's life is sin. But we've allowed the world to desensitize us with the hell of vision and the social media and this ungodly culture that we'll all call out, but we're not a much different. You see, we must be holy people. We must be gods. And I've been convicted. I fail in this area. I'm telling you now. But these people, they repented. Achan confessed. You can see what they did if you go read it. God was serious. But then he gave them back. His victory, he went before him and he fought. And the rest of the book is just God taking Joshua and his generation and cleaning house and giving them one blessing after another. Victory upon victory. Prospering, successful, flourishing for the glory of their God and to the benefit of their generation. Friends, today the church has to come to grips with it. We can be saved. The blood of Jesus done that by his grace but you're never going to see victory in your life and in your family and in your soul and in efforts and in our ministries when we are filled with things that shouldn't be there. They've done it. 
They did what God said. If God's word said it, no matter how hard it worked, no matter how inconvenient it was, no matter what the situation, no matter what the circumstances, they did what God said. And at the end of Joshua's life, 24 years later, Joshua says, now I am about to go to the way of the earth. I'm fixing to die like Moses. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of God's promises the Lord gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. And because of that, in the next chapter, he's closing out. He's got all of them there, letting them know what to do next. He says, choose this day who you will serve. Choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You can't serve the Lord and have the accursed things. You can't serve the Lord and go where you want to go and do what you want to do. You have to be in scriptural boundaries of what God says is truth. And friends, thank God when we do get out, he forgives us. He gives us repentance. I didn't say this, Jesus. Jesus said, except you repent, you will all likewise perish. Repentance is a requirement because they don't know about you. I keep messing up. <laughs> so I just keep repenting. And God keeps forgiving. And God keeps bringing me back. Friends, today, the church needs to seriously look at Joshua because I'm here to tell you, it's not God. He can take, keep his promises. It's us. And I bring you to this dilemma. What are we going to do, church? Are we going to just do what we always done, get what we always get? Or are we going to get right with God? The Holy Spirit is in complete control of our lives if we let him. He's going to tell you the things shouldn't be there. He's going to tell you the things that should be there. And he's more than able to help us do that. You know, as we come to look next week, I promise you it's going to be encouraged. We're going to cross the river. Amen. We're going through on dry land. Oh, man, it's encouraging. But never forget the reason it happened. They were sanctified. They were obeying the scripture. And then he's going to give them Jericho. Hallelujah. Shouting time. But then Achan's going to show up. Oh, God, it's going to break your heart. You know what I found? Before God can fix me, he always breaks me. Before God saved me, he showed me how lost I was. Before God ever can change us, he has to get us where we need to be to want to be changed. My pastor, Brother Dusty, said, Brother Mormon, don't get discouraged. Remember this. It'll make sense to you one day. You cannot disciple something that don't want to be discipled. Find the ones who do. Focus on them. Minister to them. Pour into them. Teach them the word. Show them Jesus. And the ones who don't, love them. Pray for them. Preach. But I'm telling you now, you told me this today in my ordination, your disciples are going to be few. But the good news is that there will be some who want to follow Jesus. Do y'all want to follow Jesus? This is the only way I know to pastor. And I'm asking you, let's follow him. Let's, today, if there's an accursed thing in your life, come give it to him. If there's things that ain't in your life that need him to be in your life, pray and sanctify yourself. Do that. Because at the end of the day, what matters more than anything is not what we get out of this life. It's what we get to take with us to the next life. And you know the people that's going to get to hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant, those who were consecrated to him, those who gave their life to him. And I don't know about you all, that's the greatest thing we can look forward to. Today there's some of you here, you're in Egypt. You've never been saved. You've never experienced the glorious salvation power of the cross. 
just like Moses and the power of that staff parted that Red Sea and the people walked through on dry land and came out on the other side and then when the people of Pharaoh and Egypt tried to do it, it closed up on them. If you've been through the blood of Calvary and you've come out on the other side, the world can't go with you. And you can't go without. That's our only way through. Have you come to the cross? Have you come to Jesus? Has there a place in your life where you realize I'm in bondage to this world that I live in? It owns me. Satan has got me. And sin, I'm in its bondage. I want to be free. Come today. Jesus will save you. He'll forgive you. And he'll go to work in you. Some of us are saved. But in reality, you live a a life in the wilderness. Your life is not spiritually blessed. It's not flourishing. It's not spiritually successful and prospering. Come and get right with the word of God. And sanctify yourself. Consecrate yourself to the Lord. And I promise you, you'll see a difference. And some of us knows what it's like to live in the victory of the promised land. To stand in the place of God's provision, God's protection, and better than anything else, God's presence. That's what's in the promised land. That's what the abundance of life of Christ is. It's where God's presence is with you to where his provision is provided and his protection is over you. That's what God wants to give us. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me. I'm going to say a prayer. We're going to sing a song. And I'm through. Forgive me, I lied. I went 10 minutes. But I'm going to invite you to respond. Jesus is calling. Come to me, those who are weak and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. I'll deliver you. If you want to come, he come while you can. I'm inviting you. Christ is calling you. Boy, it's quiet today.